Hello and welcome to the Chatterkey Podcast, where I break down and review movies, TV, occasionally video games if I can find one to review, and yeah, occasionally talk random shit. Uh, as you can see, I'm your host, Ranking Thomas Shoes, and yeah, I, I usually have my co-host sitting next to me, uh, but she's unwell, so I'm going solo on this. Remember the first time I've been forced to go solo? Uh, <laughs> no, because obviously I had to do it with Connor when he was ill. So I'm going to sell on this, uh, but I, I have brought a very special uh, co-host. <laughs> R.I.P. my career. <laughs> Hayden 2.0. What was that? She says, hello, her name is Hayden. <laughs> and the actual Hayden is going to kill me straight after this recording. Uh, but yeah, so today we are going to be reviewing... The Thing. No, not the original from the like black and white version. Not the 2011 prequel. The 1982 John Carpenter's The Thing. Which follow up to the prequel, but actually made a long time before the prequel. Which you can tell by how dated it looks compared to the prequel, which technically is the same year, but it looks like it's a new film because it clearly is a new film. I know, it's confusing, right? Uh... <laughs> Well, I'm going to get sore holding this up, but oh well. <laughs> so yes, we're going to be doing... Well, I'm going to be doing... The Thing. And yes, it looks like a VHS. But it's not a VHS, you hold... You hold that. I said hold it! <laughs> it's a special edition Blu-ray. It looks like a VHS, which is pretty cool. That's got some special stuff in, but this fucker won't hold it, so I'm not going to do it. Um, But yeah, so this guy, I'm just going to talk gibberish for the next uh, fucking 20-30 minutes. Do my review, and I do have the notes that she gave me for her review. So, um, yeah. So, straight off, the thing for me is a masterpiece. I don't know why it was hated when it first came out, and it looks like this guy's noshing me off if he's down there. <laughs> um, I don't know why it was hated. It is such a great movie. It's easily my second favourite Carpenter film. Uh, which is proved by the fact that I have a lot of shit to move with. I have a nice little framed picture, which currently, usually, sits... Behind this fucker on the wall. Um, obviously, I've got the DVD of it. I've got the Blu-ray of it. I know the 4K is coming out soon. So, I may get the 4K. Depends. I think they have slightly remastered it. And after watching the Poltergeist remaster they did recently, uh, I possibly might because that looked fucking sick. And this film would look even better. Uh but yeah, there's, there's a lot to love about this movie, from its practical effects, to its acting, to its score, to its, you know, isolated feeling you get when you basically see them just basically stuck in the middle of the Arctic, um, to the really cool alien designs you get, and uh, yeah, there's, there's, there's a lot to really enjoy with this film, and if you've never watched it, it's 100% a recommendation to watch, because you're going to have a blast watching it. Because um, this is like a a practical filmmaker's wet dream of the amount of practical effects smashed over this. Not digital, practical. Because everything about this movie is done practically, which makes sense. Early 80s. CGI wasn't really a big deal back then. Unless you watched George 3D. Uh, um, but yeah. <laughs> it's definitely one that has stood the test of time for me. And I'm happy it got its cult status when it went to home media. 
uh, because that's where it found more of its love and over the years has built this reputation of being like one of the greatest movies out there and it's understandable because it, it is it's it's one of the greatest movies it's Carpenter's second best movie first one's still to come um no it's not you you're not a Carpenter film um but yeah obviously got Kurt Russell in the lead you know and in, in his prime this was because this is where he started with his Carpenter you know Workings. So obviously, he did Elvis. He did this. He did uh, Big Trouble in uh, China. Um, Escape from New York. Escape from LA. Well, don't talk about that one too much. Um, obviously, this is probably like one of my favorite. Kurt, probably is actually my favorite Kurt Russell movie because he's you know a smart action hero. A lot of times you watch these films and the action stars, you know, he's just like the guy who goes. And that's all he knows. He's just shooting guns, but he's actually really smart, which is seen with uh, the blood scene, where he's like, "Okay, I had this idea of let's test the blood. If it reacts like, you know, then we know it's it's okay. It's it's legit. He's a human. But if it reacts differently, then we know, okay, this fucker's the thing. And obviously, you have that whole sequence where he does that one by one, tests out one." Just so he can actually have a partner to help him, since he's you know tied every fucker else up. It would have been a big kick in the balls if he was the one who was the thing, because everyone else would have been tied up and he would have been fucked. But obviously not. Uh, then obviously he tested the dead bodies just to see, you know, if the dead bodies were things, and of course neither of them were, so he killed the guy. Um, and then one by one slowly goes through the people tied to chairs, starting instantly with the thing, which fucks everyone over, kills his friend, and you know has to make him restart from scratch. And that whole sequence is just so fucking good. The, the whole slow build-up, watching people's faces, the worried of, of, am I the thing? What's going to happen here? To the point when he actually puts it into the actual thing's blood and like the blood squirts out as like some sort of monster and the guy starts transforming into the creature. That's just like so fucking cool to watch. Um, the first instance you get to see of the thing when he's in dog form, uh, since obviously this movie starts where the prequel ends and flows into with the obviously Norwegian Lars and the pilot chasing down the dog before you know they get killed pilot get killed by Lars because Lars throws a grenade and drops it R.I.P. the pilot with one scene in the the, uh, prequel and then gets blown up in in the actual movie and obviously then Lars gets executed because he's you know shooting people but then obviously the dog gets put within the base slowly integrates with people, turns one of them of a mysterious shadow who you don't know who it is yet, which is pretty cool. Um, the little slow build up there. And then you actually have it go into the pound with all the other huskies and then kill most of the huskies, absorbing them, which is such a cool effect. Like the dog's face, which obviously you can tell when it turns to an actual practical effect rather than the dog. And its face just splits in two. The little fucking face comes out. And it starts like shooting these little fucking like tendrils out of its back, squirting the dogs, and then slowly killing them and absorbing them into him. Until obviously the people come in and see it and see this massive monster that has giant fucking hands grow out of it, which looks so fucking amazing. Um, obviously up to the point that they torch it, and you know, okay, it's over, it's fine, it's done. And then it's the actual. Okay, we're gonna go back now. We're gonna see what's going on with this other thing. They of course find. Uh, 
both the spaceship from the last uh, from the prequel, even though it looks different since it's you know not fully special effects like that one, obviously, um, and also the ice where the obviously alien was. Uh, they then go back to the base and find the actual uh, alien that's outside the face merging one that was like one of the last big big reveals in the prequel uh, and of course all the dead bodies including the uh, comms guy who of course slit his wrist which you don't see you just saw the after effect in the last one and you obviously see the slightly more frozen effect in this one since he's been there for a while and obviously they're gonna hopefully not pan onto his face and reveal it's clearly not the same guy from the last one <laughs> <sighs> the joy of doing prequels like decades after the original but yeah so they do all that and then get the body brought back the body's actually revealed to still be alive even though it's been torched to hell and that affects one of them turns him into a thing but not a full thing like a full human yet because he hasn't fully had enough time to transform so what you get to see is like this really cool like prop hand that he's got and that really sinister roar in this snow which is like an iconic scene from this movie um, before the, you know, they murder it and then we slowly start picking off the group with the actual other things revealing themselves taking over people until in the end we've just got uh, Kurt Russell and Charles left who of course end up freezing themselves to death because they don't know if the other one's the thing so they do the smart thing and they say okay let's just sit here and wait until we basically die smart protagonists because they could have easily gone okay let's just get out of here and they could have took possibly the thing back to civilization which early on in the movie a little old school computer was showing us um what would happen if the thing went to civilization like how quickly it would take over the world so they did the smart thing then of actually just saying okay we're just gonna wait here if you if you turn i kill you if i turn you kill me if neither of us turn we both die simple as that and of course, it's the, that open and short ending of did they get out? Did they die? Who knows? And uh, so, which that's a pretty cool like, leave it up to the audience to decide. Since they were gonna do a sequel according to the internet, it was gonna be like a Sci-Fi Channel miniseries where they find the bodies of them two. So obviously, I'm guessing that means they did die. And obviously, they took the the Russians. Obviously, they took the alien back with them. Uh, since obviously the Russian station was hinted at in the prequel which where Kate went obviously she wouldn't have been there because she wouldn't have existed since it was the idea before the prequel happened but then it got scrapped and the prequel happened instead um of course it was, that was going to be set in like Mexico or something like that they're going to try and have to track it down in Mexico which it would have I don't know I feel like it, the thing suits the Arctic thing it's sort of like you know matched into a um it's like a little area where they basically can't actually get out anywhere. They've got a helicopter, but that's not going to get you far. You need to actually get a plane out of there. Um, or a big, big helicopter. Because the American base is more of a small helicopter, whereas the Norwegian base had a proper like um, helicopter, to like cargo helicopter sort of thing. That could probably actually travel a bit of a distance compared to this one, which is more of a, like a you know, flying over like, bits of the Arctic sort of helicopter. Like a short-range helicopter, I'd like to say. Uh, that's the thing, you don't actually know where both these bases are in terms of how far away from the ocean are they it's never actually sort of revealed so that's sort of like a mystery in my mind I like to think that it's like they're really far away so they are literally full on isolated from 
any way of getting to land, which is pretty cool. Plus, they spoke about the fact that they'd need help to come and get them. Obviously, that's because the helicopter's fucked, but they'd probably have to actually get a proper transport to come and pick them up. So they've got to be quite far from any sort of land. So I like I like that idea of it being isolated to this sort of little region. Um, but I do also like the fact that when you watch both films, you see the difference in characters. Um, I think this movie's characters are better than the last ones, but I do like the fact that uh, the two different types of characters, like groups. So you have got the last one where they're a bit more trusting of each other, like they don't jump at the gun at trying to fuck each other off. Uh, whereas this one. They kind of are. Like as soon as they're like, uh, I think McCready's like one of them is like, oh yeah, fuck McCready's gone. Oh no, he's back. Oh, it's cool, man. It's cool, but it's, it's okay. Like, they're instantly like, at each other's throats. So I like that. As he probably doesn't have it's just a bunch of guys that've probably been there for a long time, so they've grown to hate things about each other. Like um, the chef's always playing his music loud. One guy hates that, so that could cause a bit of conflict. Obviously, McCready's sort of this. Kind of a loner guy who sits in his own little shack, his own personal place. So that kind of could have caused a bit of tension as well. So I like that it's two different types of groups of characters. So it's not like you're watching the same film. Even though it's the same concept, it feels different enough to get away with watching both movies. So I do like that. Um, I also like Coppin's score over the top. It, it, it suits. It, it feels very like sinister. Like you're basically like, they're fucked. So that's pretty cool, and obviously we got the hint of that in the prequel at the end, when they put uh, the credits music are as the Thing soundtrack. So that was pretty cool. That give you the little hint and little, you know, transfer into the actual really good movie. Um, trying to think what else. Um, the horror looks really. It definitely stands out as one of Carpenter's best sort of horror out there. It probably helps that it's not like this. It is kind of drawn out, but like. It doesn't draw it out too much. Like, it gives you the shot of the sinisterness. You're like, oh shit! And it gets rid of it quite quick. It doesn't drag it out. It doesn't leave it on the screen too long. Um, For example, the end fight. Whereas the last one had, like, a massive CGI monstrosity chasing Kate. Running for a ship, trying to get her. This one, it killed... Obviously, they have a big monstrosity, obviously. It has to. Uh, but more practical. One with giant teeth and whatnot. Um, And it pops up on screen. Kills two of them. And then appears to obviously Kurt Russell's McCready character, and he kills it within five seconds. He throws some dynamite and blows it up because you don't need it drawn out. You just need it. Oh shit, that looks fucking amazing and so scary. And then he's the quick thinking of, okay, dynamite dead. So I do like that rather than just like it like chasing around this underground thing. I feel like that would have been a bit too much. Uh, which this movie never does. When it does its practicals, it does it enough so you go, oh, it's scary, but it doesn't do it too much. You go, I can tell it's really fake. That's like, you know, a bit of like the CGI one. If I feel like if that didn't draw it out, you wouldn't have been as pissy with it because they could have put a lot more money into those sequences. But because they drew it out too much, you could look at it and go, yeah, it looks a bit fake to me. So I do, I do like this one ignores that idea and it's just like, okay, short but sweet. It's all you need. They have a 48 film, but short but sweet. Show them, get rid. Show them, get rid. Show them, get rid. And it does that with pretty much all its practicals in this. Um, I think one of his best practicals is probably the spider head. Um, where, obviously, the one guy has a sort of heart attack. And you're like, okay, he had the heart attack. Yeah, that's not good. So they get the dark. He's trying to you know, resuscitate him. And 
when he does the fucking um, clear the defib on him. Uh, obviously, his chest opens up into like giant teeth and grabs the guy's arms, bites his fucking arms off. Obviously, kills him in the process because you know blood loss. Um, and then it, obviously his body slowly like transforms. His head starts going crazy. He gets another head at his body. Um, they torch it. It comes alive. His head does rips off. And it's you, all you see is like a shot of its head, and you see like little spider legs pop out of that head, and it's like so creepy. Um, I think another film did that recently. Um, it that was it. It uh, I think it was the first one did that with um, I can't remember his name, but the Jewish kid's character. There's this scene with his his head, if I remember correctly, that has the same sort of thing, but obviously it's more digital rather than practical. And practical here looks a lot better, and it's on the fucking eighties. Um, trying to think what else here. Um, hmm. Obviously, this film is is like so inspirational to me. Like the whole, you know, drawing bits out so much, and then just wow, what the hell? It's like one of my books I've wrote. This is a lot of inspiration for it. The whole setting of the Arctic, or Antarctica, sorry. Um, whole idea of obviously research stations, and the idea that basically you're so far from land, if you if you get if anything happens to you, you're kind of fucked here. So that kind of gave a lot of inspiration to some stuff I've worked on, um, and wrote. Uh, I.e. polar fright. A lot of inspiration from that came from this movie. Because Carpenter is such an inspiration for me in terms of filmmaking. Um, it's the perfect movie, in my opinion. There's nothing wrong with this movie. I literally don't understand why it got so much fucking hate when it first came out. Thank God for VHSs back in the day for saving this movie. Because this movie is chef's kiss masterpiece. Um, I'm just going to steal from Hayden's notes here, see if I missed anything. Um... No, she kind of covered the exact same things I've just said. So I don't think of something else. Um, I know there's a remake apparently in the works uh, from Blumhouse, the guys who obviously re did Halloween and all that. And apparently they're trying to do a remake, which is going to focus on bits from this, bits from the original, the thing from the uh, world, and also bits from the source material, so it's kind of going to cram all of it into one film, apparently. I don't know if it's still happening, that was announced like two years ago, uh, I think it was announced when COVID was happening, but I didn't, they haven't really said much about it since, so I'd have to wait and see, because Blumhouse have always a hit and miss for horror films, I mean, for every film they got of Halloween, they also have Black Christmas. Yep, the difference in their style is there. Ooh, I hate that film. Um, obviously, I think I spoke last time at the end. I referenced the fact there's an actual thing game that came out. I think on Xbox. I think it was on like PlayStation. Was it two or three? I think it was two. Yeah, it would have been two because three was more when three sixty was a thing. Yeah, so PlayStation two and as I say, I believe it was Xbox. There was a the thing video game. Never played it. Don't know much about it. Um, but there's a lot of obviously games that have took inspiration from the thing. Obviously, Among Us is a big one which we referenced last time. There's another one 
I can't think what it is off the top of my head. It's like set, it's like a space game, and like one of you is like can turn into a monster. I can't think of it. What? No. Well, Jackbox did do that as well in the one of their game modes, but there's an actual proper video game. There's a couple. A very yeah, you just can't think of the name, can you? There's one. There's one that's coming to my. Mind. It's I literally just can't think of the name. But yeah, there's the game like that. Uh, there's many things that have taken like inspiration from this movie, and you can understand why they went. Okay, it's use the same sort of idea and adapt it to our own situation here because it's a really cool idea of a who done it, but not a like a a murder mystery, more of a murder fuck i'm gonna die right now <laughs> it's 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 very mysterious because you don't actually know you can sort of get hints i mean if you've seen the trailers or anything sometimes there's that one shot of the guy in the snow which you can sort of guess he's gonna go um if you look at the front cover of the case you can sort of tell the one guy from that but all the ones are kind of mysterious because you don't really see it coming i mean the guy in the chair you don't really see that coming um you're not 200 percent sure with the doc not the doc um I can't remember his name, but the guy that basically they lock away, Blair. That's it. Uh, you can't. You don't hundred percent know if he is or not because it could be the case of he's gone crazy because of trying to basically just stop them from getting away. But also it could be the idea of he's doing it to get them all. So you don't actually know. You don't even know when it got him. Um, obviously, there's the mystery of is McCready one of them at multiple points. Uh, is uh windows one of, basically every single person you don't really know until it happens like oh shit i did not see that coming apart from as i say the uh it's, there's sort of the hints with the big fella when he obviously constantly complaining about his chest there's kind of hints there you're like okay something's a bit off here he's either really ill or he's he's one of them and obviously um the first guy it's like one of the most iconic shots but yeah everyone else is sort of like it keeps it under wraps until boom there you go done that's pretty cool um trying to think what else here i think i've basically covered most things with this now um yeah i kind of covered everything i could can think of really and obviously i've gone through most of the movie here Um obviously this would very much help with a back and forth situation so that minus is about five minutes off there uh, but, you know, what can you do if someone's ill? Especially when my, my new partner's not doing anything, he's the, he's the mute. You know, you, you have to pick who you got. <laughs> uh, okay, then, um, I'm going to get to the ratings then, because I can't really think too much. If I, if I think of anything, I'll just fucking throw it at the end. But and now I'm going to go straight to the ratings. Um, as I say, for me, this is a fucking masterpiece. <laughs> Bless me. Um, but yeah, it's, for me, it's a masterpiece. I thought I was going to sneeze again now. I can't repeat myself. But no, um, I've seen nothing wrong with this film. The practicals are so good. The horror is so good. The music's so good. Uh, the cinematography is spot on. A lot of the shots where you, it could like just pan to something else, but it doesn't. It does it so slow. The shot when they obviously find the alien, obviously they got it on the table. There's a low shot. It's a lot of guys' asses, but you know, if you look past that, it's a very slow pan around to show you the room before revealing like the alien, which is I I like those sort of shots. They're pretty cool. Um, very continuous shot. 
Um, it's just a, it's just a really good movie that utilizes practical effects to its limit and doesn't overuse it to make it look fake. So yeah, for me, this film is easily like the top of the line, um, and I'd easily give it ten out of ten, uh, which of course is a dragon's egg. I have no quarrels with it whatsoever. Um, now I'm gonna try and not drop my phone if it's on word and get the notes up that she has sent me. Uh, okay, so she has put that she the use of practicals really helped sell the body horror. Uh, she hasn't put this, but body horror is very Cronenberg. Obviously, it felt like the fly and stuff like that. So it does kind of give me vibes of that at times. Um, the music makes you feel tense and has the air of mistrust, which fits the atmosphere of the film. Very true. There's a lot of shots of people's faces where they're looking like, oh, shit, am I going to get revealed it? I'm actually a thing. I don't know. And the music sells it like, really sinister. Like, actually, I think it's gone like a thing. Oh, wait, no, it's not a thing. It's fine. Um, they did a good, smart protagonist. Very true. Kurt Russell was spot on. He was the smartest of the bunch. Um, he always knew how to basically get everyone in one room. I mean, get some dynamite. He knows they're going to come after him. Like, gets ready to lie. He's like, okay, everyone back up into one room. Can have your in sight. Do as I say. We can all get this alive. If not, boom goes the dynamite. Um, there's a, a very ambiguous ending. Uh, and it's probably the best way to end the film. I agree very much with that one. Um... And it's a very smart and creative plot. Again, I very much agree with that. Uh, and Kurt Russell was the perfect choice for the lead. I very much agree with that as well. Um, and with all that little note she gave me here, uh, she would give it, is this bang on? No more. No, no point anything. Okay. Uh, okay, so she's give it a bang on 9 out of 10, uh, which of course is a golden egg. Uh which would then make my job simpler. Thanks for not doing the points. Um, which would obviously give this movie the Chatter Cave overall rating of 9.5 out of 10. I can, I can agree with that. I can agree with that. Um, obviously, MVP time. Uh, I think we both agreed on the MVP here. I've, I've said to you before, I said, whatever you send me MVP, runner up, I can literally just wipe it off the slate and just go with what I choose. But I agree with the choice of MVP. It's simple. It's going to be Kurt Russell's McCready. Um very smart character. Um, he has his obviously generic action movie like hero within him, but he has on top of that a non-generic smart action hero. Like he has the buildings of what would be the generic action hero, but then they've added stuff to him to get rid of that and make him actually a smart protagonist who knows what he's doing here and can easily save everyone from the thing. Um, oh, it actually reminds me. Someone obviously, she pointed out while watching it. If you have the subtitles on, they actually um, capitalise the thing every time someone mentions, oh, it could be the thing. They actually put it in capitals, which is pretty cool. Um, so, runner-up. Uh, no, I could agree with that. Obviously, she's agreed on a... She's put Childs, who's played by Keith David, uh, and I can agree with that. Um, she's put... Um, Runner-up, since he acts as the more aggressive version of Kurt Russell, and the fact, obviously, it's both him and Kurt who are together at the end, not knowing if either one of them is the thing, but accepting their fat, the facts. Oops. But both accepting their fates is brilliant. You put facts. 
kind of threw me off there. Accepting their fates is brilliant. Uh, I can I can agree with that. I do agree. Keith David is a great way of obviously having this kind of bickering between two characters because obviously a lot of characters do get on with McGreedy, so it makes sense to be in one standard that kind of always hates him a bit, uh, especially when it all starts kicking off. So obviously Charles obviously is a good choice for that because. They're both the same sort of idea of a character. They both want to be the top dog of the group. So they both could see this as a way of becoming said top dog more. Obviously, McCready is the top dog, and Charles could see this as a way of taking that spot from him. And, of course, there is these moments where they both obviously are working together to deal with the threats, and plus their choice at the, at the end to say, okay, let's both die here because we don't know who's the actual thing. He's a great obviously why it's uh, how both connect, characters connect even more um plus i do like keith david so and this isn't the first keith david carpenter movie because he of course did they live uh, with ready body piper uh and hayden only just realized the fact that he's the voice of um the bad guy in uh princess and the frog i don't remember the guy's name in that what dr felicius dr felicia <laughs> Um, okay, so favourite moment. Um, oh, what do I go with? I've just seen hers. I'm trying to think of which one do I go with here. Um, I do like the spider legs. That is really cool. I do love the ending. Um, I do love any practical effects in this. The mystery behind it. Oh, oh fucking hell. I think I'm going to give it to the dog scene when the dogs get killed. Obviously... Not all the dogs. Some of the dogs get laid and then get murdered later on. Um, with an axe to the neck. R.I.P. doggos. Um, but the first uh, sequence with the dogs, when you first get to see the thing, when it obviously creates this dog-like creature and then starts evolving into a more monstrous creature with like, growing massive fucking arms. That, for me, is just such a tense sequence of the character. Because, obviously, at first, you, the characters don't see it. Obviously, Clark comes and finds it. Sets the alarm, gets it, obviously, no, doesn't set the alarm. Obviously, McCready hears the dogs howling, sets the alarm, all of them come running in. They see this creature slowly transforming. They have to watch as it transforms to the point of it can fucking run at them. And obviously, then Charles has to come in with the flamethrower and torch them. But I do love his reaction to it. Like, he doesn't know how to react at first. He's, like, in shock of what he's seeing until it comes at him and then he flamethrowers it. That, for me, is a great sequence. Um, and I feel like that tops other sequences that definitely are up there for me. Um, so for Hayden, she's put uh, the testing of the blood. Uh, it makes sense. It ma makes it seem like everyone looks suspicious, which it does. Um, Windows is a good uh, example there. Uh, there's a lot of zoom-ins on his face where he's looking really nervous and like, really aggressive. Like, everyone else is like, looking like chilled, like, is it, is it him? And he's looking like really aggressive and you're like, like, shit, is it actually going to be him? Like, I mean, it makes it so obvious that it's not going to be him. So, you know, you can kind of see that, but I do, like, agree with the fact that they, like, zooms in, it's like, whoa, this guy could actually be a thing here. Um, and she does put the way the blood reacts, looks great, uh, which it does. I mean, you have that weird, like, monstrous creature coming out, and you see the little drops of blood on the floor, is that they sort of shimmer away, like, it is, like, even though it's not a body anymore, the blood's still a life form and slowly slides off screen. I do like that, I do agree with that, it's pretty fucking cool. Um... And when obviously the thing turns while being tied to the other guy is 
is great. And again, I agree because obviously you see you see him at first shaking, and then you see the transformation into the practical effect guy, and then obviously he sort of grows up to the obviously rip himself out of the chair, grabs windows, RIP windows. But I do love that scene where his head just like cracks open. Bites windows. Yeah, obviously, you can tell windows is like a, a dummy at that point, flying around the room. But I do love the fact that obviously the, the dub over the screen and him going, ah! as he's smashing for the everything in the, the room. Obviously, as a generic thing of, oh no, my flamethrower is not working. Shit. But obviously, eventually, oh, it worked. Yay. And of course, poor windows in the corner going, blah, 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 blah. But obviously, we, we don't know in that thing because obviously it hasn't absorbed him. It tried to eat him. But we don't know if it actually did do anything to him to make him, like, the thing. So for all we know, Kurt Russell picked up Windows, he's flying around, he's torched Windows for no other reason. I like to think that's Apple getting back at uh, Microsoft. <laughs> Kurt Russell's Apple in the situation, and poor Windows over there. RIP Windows. <laughs> but yeah, I, I, I agree, that is a really good scene, and it definitely does set up the rest of the movie even more, because that's sort of like, a big pinnacle moment where the cast is slowly trimmed down even more and then it's obviously it's bit by bit then it's coming towards the ending where everyone else is starting to get taken from the screen um so yeah i, I agree with that um is there anything else we can say here um not really off the top of my head i mean she's i've covered everything that she wanted let's try not knock my phone over um so yeah, I feel like that um, covers most of this movie. Um, obviously, we're going to carry on with our horror right leading to October. So we've got one more before the October uh, spooky month. And of course, that is again another John Carpenter classic, which is going to be Halloween. Uh, another one of my top contenders to greatest movie of all time. Uh, so yeah, it's going to be very interesting. Obviously, that's one. This is obviously... The thing was Hayden's first chance of watching this movie. Oh, she, she'd known about it before, but she'd never actually watched it. Whereas Halloween, she's actually seen. So this is this here is her first reaction to the thing. Sadly, she's not here to actually react in person. She's off camera currently, lazing around. Whereas obviously Halloween, she's actually seen, so that's more of a refresher in her mind because she saw it like two years ago. So it's definitely gonna be a refresher. Um, so yeah, so next week we'll be covering Halloween. Um, so yeah <laughs> yeah obviously if you haven't checked out the prequel you can go check that out obviously we did that last week um, you can check out YouTube, Spotify Audible, Amazon Music, iTunes you name it, wherever you, wherever you check out your podcast you can check it out on there um, and obviously do check out Halloween next week um, so yeah I'm trying to think of anything else um, I usually have a question at the end Um I know last time I said which is superior, practical uh, digital. This has no digital. Um, I, I can't. Hmm. Would you have liked the sequel? Here's my question. Would you have liked the sequel or would you have liked them just doing that prequel instead? Because, yeah, the prequel is basically the same concept in the same situation, but it does add to this movie a bit more, uh, even though if there's a lot of footage where you don't actually see Kate. So, um, or would you like to have seen that uh, sequel series, a like mini series, uh, set in Mexico apparently, um, which was going to be made by someone who has done a few horror films over the years. 
can't remember the guy's name off the top of my head, but yeah. Um, personally, I feel like they did the right thing with the prequel rather than the sequel. Um, because it does leave the ending up to you as an audience to decide if they got it or not. But if the sequel did, say, obviously, what I read stated that they found the bodies, then you know straight away, shit, they survived. They died. Um, that ruins the ending a little bit because you kind of want that idea of, oh, it's a debate now. I could debate with someone over did they live or did they die? Um, so I, did, I think they chose the right idea of doing the prequel and just building up to this one because, as you say, you can watch them both back to back rather than watch one and go and then have like a 23 year time jump to the next one or something stupid like that. It, it, was, it, was, it was like a proper big time jump, which I think would have ruined it a bit. So I'm happy they did do the prequel, but as an audience, would you have liked to have seen the sequel instead of the prequel? Um, so yeah, that covers everything. Uh, I hope you enjoyed um, the uh, podcast. My co-host just died. Well done. Well done. Where is he? Where's he gone? Where's he gone? Oh, shit.